Hi, welcome to my channel. My name is Lisa Allistway, and I create inspirational and informational videos you can use and apply to your life. Today, my guest is Dr. Xavier Arujo. Dr. Arujo is the director of the Center for Bass Studies at the University of Nevada, Reno, where he is also a professor of genocide studies. Dr. Arujo holds three master's degree in linguistics, history, and philosophy, and has two PhDs in history and philosophy. He has published issues related to Basque history and politics and has specialized in genocide studies with a focus on physical and cultural extermination. Dr. Arujo has authored more than 15 books and a number of journal articles and has received awards and honors at the national and international level. His recent books include Guernica, Genealogy of a Lie, Guernica 1937, The Market Day Massacre, and Legal History of the Basque Language. I will be linking Dr. Arujo's website below for your reference. Welcome. Thank you very much. Did I get your name right? Your last name pronounced right? You did it great. Okay. <laughs> very well. Great. So the reason I wanted to do this video, and I we had talked in the email, is because um, my last name is Basque. And my whole life, people have mispronounced my last name and have asked about its origin. And I would say, it's Basque. And usually I would get a blank stare and I would go on and have to explain, well, you have the Basque French, you have the Basque Spanish, and they're separated by the Pyrenees Mountains. And my paternal grandfather, Pablo Alastway, was Basque Spanish. And he grew up in a small town there in Spain called Bergi, Spain. And um, a little history about him is in 1920, he came to the United States because he wasn't the oldest son, because at the time the oldest son inherited the house, the land or whatever. And so there was no future for him in Spain. So he had heard about a sheep herder program that if you would come, for, come to the United States and work as a sheep herder for a set amount of time, they would pay for your passage. And so that's what he did. So in 1920, he came over, um, went through Ellis Island, and ended up out west in Encino, New Mexico, and worked as a sheep herder, not speaking the language. He only knew Spanish, and uh, he worked with Mexicans at the time, but uh, the language didn't always translate because a lot of the Mexicans use Indian terms, and uh, a lot of the customs didn't translate either. Uh, he was befuddled that people actually ate corn, for example, because corn was considered slop in the old country, and uh, it was just feed that you would give pigs to fatten them up. And so the fact that humans were eating corn was very weird to him. Um, anyway, uh, he, he continued on and was a sheep herder in Arizona and so forth. Well, I never met my grandfather, but I've always been interested. I've actually been to Bergie, Spain. Um, I've traced his steps at Ellis Island. And um, I just wanted to learn more about the Basque culture. And I wanted to share that with everybody. So I thought, who's better to do this with? And it, an expert like Dr. Arujo. So I really do appreciate you coming on my channel today. Thank you very much for inviting me. And it is a pleasure and an honor to, to be here uh, after listening to such a story. It's a beautiful story, life story. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunately I never knew my grandfather because he died before I was born. But yeah. there's always that like, you know, lineage that we're always curious about. And so Basque is definitely an area that I'm very interested in. And like I said, want to learn more about. So who are the Basques? 
no one knows. <laughs> no one knows. Uh, it is a still a mystery and we have to accept that. I mean, we live in that uh, ocean of uh, uncertainty. Uh, it is a prehistoric people. That is something that we can say. Uh, probably the first inhabitants in Europe uh, speaking one of the oldest languages in Europe and probably one of the oldest among the oldest in the world. And um, this is as much as we can say with uh, some uh, certainty. Eh? Um, we don't know much yet about uh, prehistory. One of the things that we can say is that, for example, one of the first uh, remain human remains in uh, in uh, in Western Europe is in the Basque Country, and it is a magnificent bison that was painted. Uh, in a cave very close to Orio, a uh, town in the Basque Country, in the coast, um, uh, which is about six feet tall and six feet uh, wide. So it is a huge bison. Uh, and it is probably one of the oldest, if not the very oldest, uh, painting in Western Europe, as we know today. Probably uh, we are going to find older paintings in the future, but uh, as for today, this is one of the, the, the biggest and the best conserved that we have. And, um, you know, uh, this is uh, as for the origins. Then we know about the Basques um, from 2000 years ago to today um, through, you know, historical records, archives, archaeology, and human remains as well. So this is, it is much more that we can say about the historic, let's say, Basque country than uh, rather of uh, the origins of these people that uh, are unknown, yeah. Very cool. And what about the Basque language? Where does exactly is that and how is it so different from all the others? Yeah, it is very different. It is um, uh, an isolated language. Uh, in other words, uh, your language are like families. Uh, they are related to each other, they evolve, they change, and there is a dynamic of uh, um, linguistics there, phonetic and uh, etc. And uh, the Basque language is not related to any other language. So for example, uh, based on phonetic evolution, um, if we take uh, languages, Indo-European languages, most of European languages are Indo-European and the only pre-Indo-European language in Europe is the Basque language. Well, all these languages, since they have a common origin, they share uh, sounds and words, etc. So, uh, well, uh, a certain author, I'm not going to go into details, uh, set a table of words. For example, the table of eight and night. In English, you say eight and night, and it sounds similar. In French, uh, people say huit and nuit, and it is similar. In Spanish, noche ocho. It is very similar. Notte otto in Italian, or noite oito in Portuguese, etc. In Basque, it is sorti gau. You can tell that it is not <laughs> related to that other family. Yes. Do you speak uh, Basque fluently? Yeah, I speak that uh, as my mother language. Yeah. Is that your first and, language? Uh, it is, uh, together with the Spanish. And uh, indeed, I relearned my language several times because, well, as you know, I was born in exile. So I learned a certain dialect of Basque and a very specific, uh, let's say, version of, of Spanish, the Venezuelan Spanish. 
And uh, when the dictator died in 1975 and my family could return to democracy in the Basque country, then I had to learn uh, to speak again, uh, both in Basque and in Spanish. And I speak also French. So, um, well, I, I guess that my mother languages are many. Okay. <laughs> Not Very interesting. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your story um, about being exiled and then being able to come back to Spain? Yeah, you know, this is the story, this is the life motive of the Basque, the history of the Basques. And the first historical reference that we have to the Basques is the occupation by the Romans of a city called, um, the, uh, well, it has changed. Calagurris was at the time, today is Calahorra. And uh, the Romans set a siege to the city that lasted for too long. And so the defenders, the Basques that were defending that city had to go as far as to, uh, you know, salt their, the bodies of the people who were dying of famine uh, in order to eat them because they didn't have any, anything else to eat. Uh, as said, the siege went too long. And uh, sadly, this has been a reference or a leaf motif in the, in the history of the Basques is marked by violence and uh, genocide in many cases, uh, imperialism, etc., conquest and war. So well, the history of my family is just uh, an episode, a chapter on that. Uh, I am the member of a family that has been exiled five times, excuse me, six times in the, in the last five generations. So wow. starting in 1835, uh, each of my you know, ancestors has been exiled from the Basque country. And we have always returned when uh, these um, well, military coups or, or dictatorship or authoritarian regimes uh, ended. And um, I was born in exile. My fathers were uh, expelled from the Basque country, my grandparents as well. And um, the first one was the father of my great, great grandfather. And um, well, and obviously apart from being expelled, many among them, other members of the family were imprisoned or tortured or, or shot, uh, depending on the generation. And obviously all their belongings were taken from them. So the only belongings that we have uh, maintained or kept uh, at home is books because uh, the, the first, uh, the first uh, person who suffered uh, this kind of exile and repression was in, as I have said, 1835. And when the police went to his house uh, in order to well, take everything he had and the house itself and so on, they wrote a note saying um, he was a deputy, he was, a, let's say, a member of the Navarrese parliament uh, this member of parliament doesn't have anything of value at home. He only has books. This is the note of the police. Oh, so wow. this is the only, <laughs> this is the only goods, let's say that, that have survived generation after generation, uh, each one of these, um, you know, porches. Uh, and they were probably Basque books, so they probably couldn't even read the language, I guess. Probably, and but yeah, but probably there were also also in Latin and in many different languages. But yeah, they 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 didn't care, you know. Uh, yeah, uh, dictatorships do not care about books in general. Um, right. This is an example of that. Right. So my grandfather left, like I said, in 1920 before the Franco regime, and so he was very 
fortunate to not experience some of the things that that country had to experience. Yeah. Um, can you touch a little bit on that? I know you've written some books yeah. on Guernica and so forth. Yes, you know, you, you have said that uh, he went uh, to the Americas because he was not the oldest son. Right. And this is uh, some sort of, sorry, uh, misconception, let's say. It is, it is right, but not exactly. Um, in the Basque country, one of the main, main elements of the Basque culture is matriarchy. So it is not true that the only sons uh, inherited the house. The parents both were free in common agreement to decide in common agreement. If the father uh, disagreed with the mother, then there was no agreement. So it had to be common agreement with one of the children they had in order to give them, uh, to give them their house in inheritance, only to one. The house could not be divided, that is true. But it was, ne well, it was never given. It was never said, the law never said that it was, it was to be given to the oldest son. This is in Castile, in Spain, or in France, and in other parts of Europe. In the Basque country, they could choose among, freely among all children, including, obviously, daughters. And even more, in most of the cases, in the extraordinary most uh, the cases, uh, uh, daughters inherited the houses. Oh, wow. So um, uh, your father left because he was not chosen, let's say. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Probably one of her sisters, if he had sisters, was chosen, or maybe another brother, but um, not necessarily the oldest son. Um, that never uh, ruled, let's say, in the last country. It is a very uh, so, uh, an equalitarian society. This is another um, characteristic of the Basques. So parents had to choose among their children. Mm -hmm. uh, again, like in a little assembly. Houses worked like little assemblies, because as you know, many people were living in these houses, not only father, mother, and children, mm -hmm. probably grandparents, both uh, uh, grandparents mm -hmm. and great-grandparents in some cases. Uh, since, this is another characteristic of the Basque culture, women are among the longest living uh, humans in, in the world, Basque women. Uh, women in general live more than men everywhere in the world, but right. the Basque women live much more. Oh, wow. with Japanese women and Cretan women and some other small, you know, um, well, groups. What do they attribute that to? Well, um, I guess it is, uh, some people say that it is because men treat them well, but huh? <laughs> they nice. don't agree. So, <laughs> so it is no, no, not that. But well, I, I guess that there is a cocktail of, uh, you know, reasons. It could be um, geographic, it could be, you know, feeding, it could be exercise, it could be a mixture of all of it and, and maybe some other things. Uh, but it is notorious. I mean, the average is now 87.4 years average. Uh, it is very common. My grandmother died 100 years old. Um, my friend's grandmother died 106. We had a Basque woman giving a speech, a lecture in, in Boise, Idaho, when she was 103. So um, yeah, they lived quite a lot. And uh, obviously property in the end usually uh, remains in hands of women. Um, well, and, and also power, let's say social power, cultural power. And this has been, uh, you know, also a leitmotiv in history. That doesn't mean 
that doesn't mean that the Basque society was not male chauvinistic in many aspects and many other in the world. It is not that. But, um, well, for example, the first written law in the Basque country um, goes back to the year 1076. It is almost 1000 years ago. Mm -hmm. Literally says, women, women in this city have to pay all taxes except the military service. That means that they had all duties except the military service. And since they didn't uh, accomplish, let's say, that duty of military service, they didn't have to pay that tax, but they could own property, uh, merchandise, uh, work, uh, etc. Uh, well, this is the first expression of this um, characteristic of the vice culture that well, it is so notorious. If you have gone to that, uh, to Erroncari is the valley in which the town of your grandfather is located, mm -hmm. Burgi, uh, well, there you can, you can tell. I have been many times in Burgi, by the way, and I had friends there. I have already friends there still today, yeah. Yes, uh, I went one summer and just took a bus ride out there knowing that the next bus wasn't coming through the next day. And I just got off, walked out, talked to an old man that was walking around and they were able to connect me with people who were of the Alastoy origin and a cousin. Yeah. Yeah. My Spanish wasn't very good and her English wasn't very good, but we were able to communicate and I was able to actually see a house that supposedly yeah. my grandfather had grown up in. So it was, it was oh, very yeah. special and uh, a really cool moment. <laughs> Yeah, must be a great experience. I have gone uh, to different towns with people here in, but in the in the west, to visit their family houses, mm -hmm. and um, it is always a great experience. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, they get uh, in contact. Uh, if I may, I can tell a story of a student of mine. Sure. Uh, he has told me that now I can I can tell it. I can let people know what happened. Uh, he was like you. He had a, a family in the Basque country, but he never met them because again, their grandparents came to, in this case, Idaho. So uh, he decided to go to visit his family and he did in the, in the summer of 1970 something. Mm. And then, um, well, he spent there three months. He asked uh, her mother, you know, the uh, information about the family and he went to the town and people received him very well. And he spent there a lot of time visiting, you know, neighbors, family, houses. He went to weddings, to everything. And then he went back to Idaho. And uh, he took, at the time, there were no digital photographs. Uh, so he took, you know, other, the old uh, paper photographs and mm -hmm. he started to show his mother all these photographs that he had taken, more than 300 photographs. And uh, after a while, her mother told him, you, you know why? You know what? I think that you have, you are wrong. You have not been with your family. That must be another, another family. <laughs> it was not his family. But since every vast family has an uncle in the Americas, this is one of the you know, characteristics of vast uh, society today, uh, and they have the same surname, everyone assumed that uh, he was that person. And now he has two families. Oh, that's so <laughs> funny. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the Basque culture and what they're known for. I know that my, yeah. what I heard, grand, my grandfather would play loose card game. He loved to yeah. dance, at something called the Hota. Yeah. And mm -hmm. um, of course he loved wine and he loved cooking in the ground and those types of things. Yeah. yeah. Yes, you know, all that is the expression of a very dense society. 
um, it is not atomized, atomized like uh, maybe in other parts of the world. Um, people live together in a togetherness, constant togetherness. So when you go to a street, you go with people. When you live at home, you live with people also. You are always surrounded by people who are something to you. You are connected to everyone uh, at every moment in life. That obviously uh, takes from you some independence. Uh, you don't feel that, uh, you know, that feeling of independence that we may feel when we are in a field in Nevada. But um, but you are secured somehow. You are always in a group within a group, and you are part of that. And that has well many consequences. Among them, obviously, when people gather and people are together and feel good together, they like to sing, they like to dance. They like to play cards. They like to speak, and this is a day-to-day, -day, uh, you know, activity in the Basque Country. Uh, people like love to socialize, to go off, to to speak to others, to be in contact with uh, neighbors, etc. And um, the dark side of that could be that lack of independence, and also uh, a sense of uh, one of the worst things that a person can be in the Basque Country is lazy. Um, because you are part of a mechanism. If you don't do your part, the mechanism is going to be affected somehow. And then uh, well, uh, showing that you work, that uh, you are uh, a good member of community, that you come from a well-known house, that is an expression in Basque, uh, it is very important. And, um, well, you know, as every society, there are <laughs> whites and blacks. But um, I think that uh, this is what we can say. Also, it is a very equalitarian society. So um, both uh, economically, socially, uh, people are very much on the same scale. There, is, there are not big differences, um, economic or social. The, the standard of living is quite good. And there is a, a phenomenon called um, Ausolan means working together. Um, so many of the works, civil works that we do, especially in rural areas, are done uh, in that within that togetherness. I mean, uh, still today, uh, it is very important to cooperativism, let's say working together. So even industry, 40% of the industry in the West country is uh, cooperativist. Uh, that means that it is owned by the workers themselves. Mm -hmm. And they choose, they elect their own bosses and, and the way they work, they, what they produce, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, Mondragon is the best well-known uh, cooperative in, in the world, and it is Basque. So yeah, all that is there in that uh, community. Is, is it my understanding that if the Basque could be their own country and separate from Spain, they would? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There is only one answer to that. Yes, uh, today in the Basque Parliament, about sixty-five to seventy percent of the vote of the seats in Parliament are Basque nationalists. So the push for independence and nationalism in general is stronger than in Catalonia and Scotland. I would say, even though today the the pro-independence movement in Catalonia has grown a lot, and um, and also in Scotland, they are looking for the second referendum. Um, the situation in the West country is different because of political issues, among them uh, violence that ceased uh, 10 years ago. And we, well, the, 
it is still there somehow. There are many things to be arranged yet. But uh, yeah, the feeling is that uh, these people are themselves. I mean, that's why we call them Basques and not mm, any other thing. Mm -hmm. So I guess that this is the common sense. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, obviously that generates some political issues with uh, other uh, countries. Yes, yes. So let's let's talk a little bit about the history um, of Basque there in, in Spain and what created some of this mass immigration out and so forth. Yes, well, uh, immigration, emigration in this case from the Basque country is generated always by war or uh, oppression or uh, dictatorship or, or in some cases the, um, the lack of you know uh, the lack of resources uh, that has followed a war, for example, or something like that. So in the case of the Basque Country, in the 19th century, there were about four big wars, uh, starting with the French Revolution, by the end of the 18th century, and then the, the wars of the Convention, and then the Napoleonic Wars, and the Carlist Wars, and uh, riots and revolutions in between. Uh, there was a very unstable and violent uh, century, and that generated a massive, a massive uh, emigration from the Basque Country to the Americas. Uh, during the 19th century, especially to Argentina and Uruguay, to the south uh, of the Americas. Okay? And then after the, you know, the gold rush, uh, well, uh, to the United States, or before that, much before that, we have Basques in what today is uh, Arizona and Northern Mexico, okay, uh, starting in the 16th century already. But the massive migration that we know today started with the gold rush in California and then it spread to the whole West. And uh, again, in the 20th century, well, it is war and depression, the depression caused by dictatorship, as you have said, uh, your grandfather, probably didn't have many resources. There was no possibility of having, of making a living in um, under the, the Franco dictatorship. Eh? Uh, also occupation in the northern part of the Basque Country when the Nazis took over Western Europe, the Basque Country was occupied and also suffered, you know, repression uh, in the hands of the Nazis and the, and the Vichy government, the French uh, collaborationist uh, government. So this is when my family, uh, well, some of them were um, taken to prison, some others were exiled, uh, whatever, and uh, we, we left. So when we talk about like World War One, is my understanding that some say it actually started maybe with the Basque people in Guernica and that type of thing. What would you say to that? Well, yeah. Uh, the, it was like practice. Yeah, the war in Spain started in 1936, and then, uh, yeah, uh, you know, Franco organized very fast uh, what we call today a genocidal regime, a genocidal who intended that intended to uh, make everyone, let's say, everyone the same, everyone Spanish, everyone Catholic, not. Catholic in the general terms, but the Catholic in the way the regime understood Catholicism. So even Catholics that didn't understand Catholicism in that way were repressed. Um, well, that sort of regime is a genocidal regime, and many people were killed because of that. Many more were exiled and imprisoned. 
in the in the case of the Basque country, we are speaking of at least 150,000 people that we have recorded uh, left uh, to exile. And at the time, the Basque country was no more than probably three million inhabitants. So uh, it's a big, uh, excuse me, two million inhabitants. It is a big proportion of uh, society. Uh, probably, you know, uh, directly affected, we can say that up to the 10% of the population was affected by war in a very physical way, imprisonment or exile or, or death or torture or something or, or other rape, etc. Mm -hmm. So, well, that generated that kind of a brutal activity and Garnica is a symbol of all that. Garnica was um, uh, well, a war crime, obviously, but uh, apart from that, it was a war experiment. What uh, the Germans in this case, the Nazi Luftwaffe, wanted to test in Guernica was uh, how effectively, cheaply and fast and quickly um, a city could be erased from the map. So they just choose uh, a town uh, in the Basque country and, and performed that experiment. And it happened to be a successful experiment in the sense of, uh, from the point of view of the, the military, the Nazi military um, command. But um, many people died, more than 2,000 people died that, uh, as a consequence of the injuries uh, that happened in, in that bombing. And many other cities were bombed as well. Uh, we are going to present a book now and there were more than 2,000 bombings in the Basque Country, only in the Basque Country, in one year of war, from 1936, July 1936, to uh, August 1937. Uh, now we have the atlas of the bombings with each one of them, you know, cataloged, the information about the bombings, etc. It was a terrible war. It was a prologue to World War II. Um, and as I said, then occupation came and for instance, almost all close to 100% of the Basque Jewish population was eliminated during that process. Uh, in 1940, once the Northern Basque country was occupied, so until 1944 when it was liberated. So from 1936 to 1945, we have a very bloody violent uh, uh, period of, um, history in, uh, in, in our country. Yeah. Yes, um, there's a famous painting, you know, by Picasso, yeah. the, the Guernica, and I had an opportunity to see it in person there at the mm -hmm. uh, museum yeah. in Madrid. Is it the museum, Sofia Museum or something? Yeah. Um, and see it up close and live. I mean, it is, it, is some, it is something to see. Yeah, it is beautiful. There is an anecdote that Picasso himself tells uh, in his memoirs. When the Nazis occupied Paris, he was in Paris, and uh, an officer of the secret police or the police department, the German police department, visited him in his studio with a copy of the canvas. You know that the original canvas is huge. Mm -hmm. He just carried a, a small copy in his hand, and uh, he asked Picasso, have you done this? And he answered, no, you did it. Right, right. I have heard that story. Yep, that is that. Um, so what was it like for Basque during the Franco regime? Well, it was um, for the Basques that were positioned against the regime that meant uh, death or exile or prison and fines and expropriation of all belongings, eh, including lands and houses, etc. 
for the Basques that remained in the country, uh, it meant depression and repression, uh, social repression. For example, uh, we have spoken about uh, how important it is in the Basque culture, uh, the figure of uh, the mother, for example, or the grandmother or the great grandmother. Um, uh, rights of women were absolutely, absolutely uh, taken from them. A woman, according to the law, could not work or uh, inherit or even deal with property, etc. And that was something that the Basque women were not used to. Um, but well, apart from that, obviously it was repression, you know, um, religious repression, but also military repression. And <clears throat> it lasted 40 years. This is too much. Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, people living under these circumstances we're speaking of about more or less two generations, um, they were born and they were, they, they were raised within that atmosphere. Uh, that is not something that uh, society cannot be cured in, uh, from one year to another. After Franco died, uh, well, democracy came, political democracy came, not a perfect political democracy, but at least political democracy, but the social democracy is still coming, is still being regenerated. Is uh, We are in pain still today. Mm -hmm. uh, ETA, the vast terrorist organization, disappeared 10 years ago. Um, and the, the terrorist state disappeared four years ago, but the Spanish yeah. police also has committed uh, well, uh, acts of terror. Uh, state terrorism was very active for many years in not only the Basque country, but uh, and it is not something uh, unique of the Basque country. It is common to other places in the world. We have seen that. So it is difficult for a society to cure itself in peace. Mm -hmm. And um, this is what we are doing. Today, I, I, I think that, yeah, go. Oh, I'm sorry, I was going to mention something. When I was in Spain in 2001, this was before 9 11, it was over the summer. And um, I remember seeing a car bombing in front of a building. And I was not, not actually when it happened, but like after it happened. And um, somebody's like, oh, yeah, that's ETA. And I was like, what is that? And so, you know, it was definitely still prevalent at that time, but I'm glad yeah. that it's kind of died away. <laughs> Yeah, to, absolutely. Today, there is no violence, let's say political violence going on. And uh, we have to say also another characteristic of this country is that even when ETA was acting um, and the police, uh, the state terrorism was at its highest, the Basque country and <laughs> Ireland were probably the, the most, the, the the places in Europe, the Euro regions, the places in Europe with the lowest a crime rate, and it is still that way. Eh? The crime rate in the Basque country is very, very, very low. Mm. There are almost no killings or you know violent uh, um, crimes, violent crimes. Mm. Uh, anyhow, uh, now well, we are learning to live without political uh, fight. Let's say without political violence. Eh? Political mm. fight we have obviously with two states, but. Um, but in a peaceful, democratic way, eh, and trying to find ways of uh, mutual understanding in the way that the Scottish and the English are doing, uh, I think that that is a model for all of us. So well, let's see if in the future we have that uh, possibility of having a referendum and so letting people decide what they are. Mm -hmm. um, we're speaking of, about, about collective identity. What we need to ask people, such as in the case of Scotland, is what they feel they are. 
Basque or Spanish or, or both, maybe. You know? Right. Yeah. Interesting. French, yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, so there's obviously Basques around the world. And I was doing a little research on like, who, who's Basque? Like I didn't even know, like for example, Eva Peron was Basque and uh, a famous actor Benito del Torres is Basque. And uh, once you start to kind of delve into it, you realize, hey, it's, it's a lot bigger than people realize, you know? Yeah, yeah, there are many, we can call universal Basques, people who everyone know and they are, they are Basque. Um, I guess that the most famous Basque in the world probably is San Ignatius Loyola, Loyola, you know, the saint, or San Francis Xavier, uh, mm -hmm. also another saint. Um, but there are many others. For example, the first person who uh, went on a boat all over the, the world, Elcano, he was a Basque sailor. Uh, Bolivar was of Basque ancestry, Simon Bolivar. Uh, the liberator of the, the Americas, the South America in this case. And um, uh, well, Lope Aguirre, there are, you know, billion, billions as well. I, I was told, but I don't know the name, that uh, when we see Westerns in, uh, you know, Hollywood Westerns, especially mm -hmm. the old ones, uh, the bad guy is always uh, dressed in black, uh, you know, with white, uh, silver revolvers and so on. And that mask has been uh, based uh, on a Basque, uh, a certain Basque person living in the area of Bakersfield, uh, that, mm -hmm. uh, that place. So there are many. Well, uh, in the United States, uh, we have uh, the Laxalt family here in Nevada, or Pizzena Rusa in, uh, in Idaho, mm -hmm. or Garamendi, the, you know, governor in, in California. Um, there are many, many Basques that have been. Yeah. And I noticed that a lot of the Basques are in the United States are concentrated in those states, California, yeah. Nevada, Idaho. That's where you're going to find a lot more, like Houston, Texas, maybe not so much. <laughs> no, no, not, not so much. Not now, but historically the Oñate brothers and they were based there or close to that place of the world. Uh, but not today. Uh, today, probably most of them are in California, Idaho, uh, Nevada, Colorado, New Mexico, you know, all that. Mm -hmm. um, and this is called the chain phenomenon, uh, you know, push and pull phenomenon, and also yeah. chain migration phenomenon. People come, Basques came to the places in which Basques already were uh, yeah. settled and so on. So that explains that. Uh, yeah. It happens with all human groups. in. Mm -hmm. That's, when my grandfather came, he uh, was under that sheep herder program. He was able to bring uh, some cousins to come uh -huh. as well under the sheep herder program. And they worked with him in Arizona. And when their contract was done, they went to California. And so they left my grandfather. <laughs> but yeah, that was very typical to be concentrated out West, you know, yeah. than any other part of the United States. Yeah, yeah, it is true. And um, for example, there is something related to Basque women also. Uh, there are not, you know, currency in the Americas, all over the Americas, the bills, they usually have the image of a person. In the United States, all of them are men, or almost, uh, you know, mm -hmm. Jefferson, Franklin, Washington, so on, you know, in, the, in the bills. Uh, all over the Americas, there are seven bills with women in their, uh, you know, in the bill, in the currency itself. And, uh, excuse me, nine, and seven of them are Basque. Oh, wow. Out of these nine women, seven are Basque. So wow. one of them is Evita Peron, uh, 
her parents didn't speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. And there are many others, yeah. Wow, yeah. so yeah, a lot of Basques in South America as well. It is considered to be one of the first feminists uh, in history. Uh, he wrote a very well-known poem um, uh, to men, basically, oh, yeah. in defense of women, and she was Basque. Oh, very cool. I'll have to look that up. Do you know what the poem's called? Yeah. Uh, hombres necios. Well, it is a redondilla. I think that the official title is redondilla, which is the type of poem it is. But uh, uh, the first uh, sentence, let's say the first verse is hombres necios que acusáis. It would be like um, full men who accuse women of being what you have made them. Oh, interesting. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> My translation is not the best, but uh, yeah, something a beautiful poem, and it is translated into English, and you can find it, uh, you know, in Google. Yeah. Okay, I'll definitely look that up. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your Bass Study Center there in Nevada. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it is it it is now 54 years of age. Uh, it was created in 1967 uh, by William Douglas. And uh, soon after he created the center, he brought to, to Reno, John uh, Bilbao. He was a Basque exile. And um, well, he started the Basque library uh, the, and the program grew, uh, started to grow. And um, it uh, became what it is today after many years, obviously. Especially after the year 2000, the center started to grow um, uh, in a way that now has a press, the CBS Press, um, that publishes about 10 to 12 books a year and other institutions associated to the center. It is a research institution. So um, uh, it is devoted to uh, research on the Basques and uh, you know, spread, let's say, the world, the Basque culture and the world of the Basques um, to all these people speaking in English, to the, mm -hmm. to the people speaking or researching in English. And um, it is um, probably today the biggest uh, um, research institution out of the Basque country uh, on this uh, field. Uh, but worldwide? Not the, the only, yeah, worldwide, but not the only one. There are great centers in, in Boise, Idaho, in um, Santa Barbara, California, the University of California, Santa Barbara. And now a new one is being created in, the, in Bakersfield mm -hmm. in the University of, uh, I think it is a state, California State University, Bakersfield. And, um, and there are other programs uh, with, uh, you know, Basque uh, culture or Basque language on them, such as in Chicago, New York, and some parts in the United States. So there are many more this is probably the oldest and so the biggest. And, um, and the Basque Library at the University of Nevada, Reno is the biggest in the world outside the Basque country. Mm -hmm. I've had the opportunity to visit there, oh gosh, probably almost 19 years ago or so. And you weren't there, I don't think. It was somebody else no, I was speaking was, to. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it, it was really cool to like go in and see all the resources available that you can check out. I mean, just oh, come yeah. in off the street and check it out. You are welcome to come back. Oh, thank we'll you. There. Thank you. Um, so is there anything else you would like to add pertinent to the topic about bass? I know we've talked a little bit about their history, a little bit about their culture, a little bit about the language. Um, mm -hmm. Anything else you'd like to add about 
the Basque people. I think that uh, we cannot speak about the Basques and not mention the culinary arts. And I think that this is also one of the main elements of the Basque culture, you know, culinary arts, eating in, you know, in society, in groups. And uh, in these uh, tables, you know, link tables, ones to the others. I mean, the Basque restaurants doesn't, don't have, in general, in the American West, uh, individual tables. You know, all tables are together and people eat uh, next to each other. And uh, well, uh, there are great cooks in the American West and also in New York and also in Florida. And uh, well, uh, great, uh, you know, like dishes such as, for example, the chorizo burger is one of the inventions of the Basque American culinary arts. And also the, the well, for example, uh, the potato omelet, which is very well known worldwide. Uh, it is called the Spanish omelet, but it is not. It is a Basque omelet indeed in origin. The first recipe is Basque, at least, that we know eh, historically. And the pecan punch, which is uh, also the national beverage, let's say, of the Basques in the American West. And um, it was taken from the Basque country. And now it is not anymore taken in the Basque country. No one knows it in the Basque country, but it has remained uh, such a national uh, beverage in the, uh, among the Basques in the West. So. Yeah, there are very famous restaurants and anyone coming to any of these cities in the American West, mm -hmm. Elko, Boise, Reno, San Francisco, mm -hmm. should go, uh, Bakerfield, should go to, to these restaurants. And oh, enjoy. definitely. <laughs> I can honestly say here in Houston, Texas, we have a wide variety of foods, but I don't ever remember seeing anything with Basque. I'm gonna have to mm -hmm. dig deep and see if there's anything here, but um, yeah. definitely we'll check it out. If I'm ever in one of those cities, that's a good tip. Yeah, um, yeah. Before we log off, and uh, I was wondering if you could just teach me a sentence in Basque. Yeah. Um, well, we can say "Ongietori chapelgori." Ongietori chapelgori. Yeah, Ongietori chapelgori. That would be something that we say in rhythms. It has a rhythm. Doesn't have much of a meaning, but it means like welcome you let's say welcome you if you want to underline that you eh, chapel gorri means um red bread red bread but um it is a sentence that we say and it, it is you know bus whalers going to iceland in the 17th century started to uh, to learn icelandic and Icelanders started to learn Basque in order to communicate and to, you know, uh, make some business. And they wrote uh, four little dictionaries, glossaries of words from Basque to Icelandic and from Icelandic to Basque. And one of the sentences in that uh, glossaries of dictionaries is this one. Ongetori Chapelgorri is a good way of saying uh, welcome. Welcome. How do you say thank you? Miriasker. Uh, Miriasker? Yeah, okay. is more difficult. There are different ways oh, yeah, I'm gonna have to rewind for that one. <laughs> so good. Well, um, thank you in English. <laughs> I really do appreciate you coming on my channel today. And uh, if you guys yeah. like this video, please give it a thumbs up and leave a comment below. Leave a comment in Basque if you can. And uh, don't forget to subscribe and hit the bell to be alerted when the next video drops. Thank you for watching. Thanks. Yeah. Aur.